All right, good morning. Welcome into the special snow day edition of the morning show. John Reed, I believe Bob Baskerville is in here with me as a co-host. Bob, I don't know, you might have to go down to the bottom left and unmute your mic there. Let me get Sam invited as well. Good way to start off week number two. Everything was great week number one. Can everybody hear me? Everybody good to go? I got you, John. You hear me? I hear you. Yep. Sam, you in here? I am. I am. All right. Good, good morning, guys. Good morning to everyone. I believe I got the podcast set up, recording. Everything should be good to go. Yeah, it's going to be kind of a weird kickoff to week number two, but if you are listening, feel free to request to hop on once we get started here. How was your weekend, boys? Um, it was good. Um, it was kind of nice to sleep a little. Um, I hope you guys did the same. But uh, yesterday was interesting, though, because I, I don't know if any of you were out trying to run any errands or anything. But, man, it was a circus out there yesterday. Everybody trying to buy provisions and... Uh, by sleds and by um, shovels, bread, milk, you name it. I mean, anywhere I went, it was just, you know, cars packed everywhere, lines of people in the stores. Um, it was uh, it was a little frustrating, but uh, but I get it. This, this town, and I love it, but this town has trouble bracing for, for winter weather. It's, uh, it's always a little bit of uh, hit the panic button. Well, I've made a mistake. I've loaded up on bread, which I did at the end of last week, but I don't really have any meat or anything to go with. And I got some peanut butter, but that's about it. So hopefully, hopefully I'm not snowed in here, but it is still coming down over here in Farragut. The worst thing about yeah. having a, a a small wiener dog, a small wiener dog is when it snows because his belly just... Can't really handle the snow, so I'm dreading taking him out this morning. He's sitting here looking at the snow as we speak, wanting to go out and roll around and make a mess. Sam, Joe, good weekend? Yeah, I had a good weekend. Uh, caught up on some sleep, like Bob said. Got together with some buddies, you know, watched some, uh, I think, kind of a, overall a, a little bit of a disappointing wild card weekend a little bit, but, you know, watched that and some college hoops and Saw some guys that I hadn't seen in a couple of weeks with, you know, with winter break and everything. Some guys are starting to come back in. So good to see that. And then, you know, obviously got a little bit of this weather overnight. Fun to see some snow on the ground, but still operable, as you can see so far. But I guess we got some more moving in a little bit later uh, this morning. Well, I felt like I was dead wrong on everything I said about the NFL this weekend. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, my uh, my my Browns got embarrassed. Shout out to C.J. Stroud. That was a really, really good performance by him. Uh, my Dolphins also got embarrassed. Turns out Tua does suck in the cold. As the only touchdown they were able to score was on a ball that was really, really underthrown. They could do nothing. Uh, then we get to yesterday and. Believe I said the Cowboys were going to roll, and they got rolled. That was no good. Shout out to you guys who were on the Packers and said that, that you felt something was 
something special was going to happen on Sunday afternoon. It did. And then, yeah, in the night game, at least, uh, that, that one wasn't as high scoring as I thought either. It started out really exciting. It started out looking like it was going to be a shootout, and then it came to a screeching halt. So I basically feel like I went over four of my predictions. You guys did much better than I did. Um, I was, well, I was, I guess, two and two. Well, that's much better I mean, than 0 and four. No, actually, I was three and one. Uh, no, I wasn't two and two. I, I thought the Rams were going to beat the Lions last night, and um, but I didn't. Yeah, I got Packers right, and I, and I, I just as entertained as I've been by the Dolphins this season, I just didn't have a whole lot of faith of that, in them going into Kansas City, and they proved me right. But uh, I, I can't imagine anybody saw what was coming in that Houston Cleveland game. I mean, that was. That was incredible, um, and it's it's just amazing to me to see like if you can imagine too how much cap space Houston has. I'm thinking ahead to next season, um, and it's kind of the effect that uh, John, you and I are NBA guys, and you know I'm a, a Pacer guy, and Tyrese Halliburton is a guy who you know Pacers have a lot of cap room, and there's a lot of free agents next year. The rumor is, you know, the way the Pacers want it to be is, Hey, come play with this guy, you know, and, and there's some interest at least, you know, uh, top line. And, and I would say that that's definitely going to be the case in Houston next season. If you can imagine, you know, they've already got tank Dell and Nico Collins, but I mean, you got that guy leading your team and throwing the ball to you. You probably want to be a part of that. Yeah. The Texans, I begrudgingly must admit are set up very, very well. I remember kind of not laughing at them, but just being like, wow, they're going all in for CJ Stroud. Okay, that's good. And then, wow, they're going all in for Will Anderson as well. Let's see how that works out. And it turns out it's worked out very, very well. We'll get back to the NFL a little bit later. I do want to talk about some good news, some news that makes me feel good. Instead of focusing on my (laughs) 0-4 NFL predictions, let's talk about my boy Dalton Connect, who in – in the second half, down the stretch, was completely nails again. As Tennessee, it was a it was a tale of I guess tale of two halves, or not even that. It was a tale of three different types of runs where Tennessee gets up to an early lead. Looks like they're going to run away with it. I believe, you know, Zakai steal and layup. That was the point. Where you're like, okay, this is going to be easy. And then all of a sudden, Georgia starts hitting threes, and you go from up fourteen to to down six, seven, peaking, of course, at 11 before Tennessee is able to close the door, finish off on a 21-4 to four run. Bob, what were your thoughts as Tennessee, I guess, struggled or dominated, struggled, and then dominated down the stretch to beat Georgia? Well, stating the obvious, it was a, that was a hard game to watch. I mean, it felt, felt, using your term, the vibes, the vibes felt really good in the first half. Uh, what with like four minutes ago, Tennessee had a 14 point lead. Probably could have been more. They were, th- they were turning the ball over quite a bit. Namely Zakai was, um, and then Georgia made their little run at the end of the first half, continued it at the start of the second. And they were absolutely unconscious at one point in the second half. I think they were nine of 13 from three, um, you know, over 70%. I mean, you just, I just kept believing that that couldn't continue, um, and it didn't. Uh, and to your point, then Dalton Connect happened. You know, I mean, he he obviously had a great game, but he he took over there in the latter part of the second half, 
And, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it was, it was great to see. The other thing I was, uh, happy to see was that Barnes made some adjustments, uh, better late than never, but, um, the defense tightened up once he, you know, he pulled Josiah, brought in Meshack, and, and all of a sudden they started pushing Georgia, you know, away from the basket, you know, pushing them out further and further. It felt like Georgia was always near half court every time they crossed the line and couldn't get much further. That was a, that was a, that was a big difference. You know, I, I think the one most troubling thing I saw, and it was kind of a microcosm for how I, for a minute thought the game might turn out was when um, I think it was that kid Demary on Georgia, he, he, he broke down Santi on the dribble, got past him, and then dunked in Josiah's face. And it's like, okay, those are our two leaders. And they looked they looked kind of helpless there for just a split second. And that's when I would that that was a moment when I was like, man, is this game this isn't gonna work out, is it? But then finally things turned and um Zakai got better in terms of taking care of the ball. Um and Adu, by the way, was as important to them winning this game as uh, in a different way as connect was obviously connect to you. That offensive dimension is so critical for us. We, we don't have it without him. But Jonas, I thought played really, really well. 15 boards, five blocks played, I think 35 minutes. He played the entire second half. So uh, there were, there were some, there were some promising signs. And then just what we have to remind ourselves is, you know, winning on the road in the SEC is hard. We saw it for Kentucky and Arkansas this weekend too. It's just, it's tough. We got to expect that. And I'm just, I'm just glad they persevered and won because in the past couple of years, that's a game they would have lost. I think. Well, yeah. Let's start breaking down those points one by one. Um, we'll start with disappointment, and yeah, I was disappointed at the way Josiah responded to a a bad game against Mississippi State, he followed up with another bad game where he was essentially, yeah, benched down the last, you know, stretch. And the team went on a big run without him, and Mayshack looked better. Uh, you're right. Shout out to Jonas. Uh, you know, Dalton Connect brought you home offensively, but when Tennessee cut the water off for Georgia on that run, it was Jonas at the rim, you know, making a couple big blocks and, and a couple big rebounds. I thought he was awesome. You talk about adjustments. I mean, I think Tennessee realizes, and sometimes they forget. You know, I think sometimes they want to play team ball. But whenever they need a bucket, they have a a cheat code, and that is to bring Jonas out up high, give Dalton Connect a high screen, and let him get downhill and get to the rim, or let him rein in a couple of long threes. I thought that was what happened when Tennessee made their run. You saw Connect just keep going, going, going to the rim. And then, of course, the game winner, he gets a high screen from Jonas. They drop under it, and he just drills a three. Great win. Yeah. Could have been ugly. Could have been an all-time bad loss. Or Let me rephrase that. Not an all-time bad loss, but a loss there would have really changed. It, it would have really changed the feeling around this team and around this program, it's been, you know, pretty high for almost the entire season. If you lose that game, you almost, you know, kind of ruin everything that you had accomplished so far in the year. Let's take some 
callers, I guess we'll say, if you want to hop on and join us. I'm going to say, as kind of as a rule of thumb, if I don't recognize the name, I guess this guy's from Northern Colorado. No, that's Colorado State. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the name of the guy that's uh, requesting here. He doesn't follow the station. I don't know if he's an actual person or an actual fan. If we're going to get trolled here, so as a rule of thumb, if you're, as a rule of thumb, if you're not at least following the station, probably not going to let you hop on, unless I recognize your name. But yeah, if anybody wants to request and hop on, go ahead. Sam, did you have any thoughts about yeah, uh, uh, Tennessee taking down Georgia? I, I mean, I, I think it was good to see, you know, at least at times when it was almost unbearable to watch this game. I think it was good down the stretch. You had that that five-minute stretch at the end of the game where, you know, you only allow one point. I, I think you've gotten into a couple games so far this year where, you know, you, you've kind of battled back and you've gotten into a situation where you can go win it in crunch time, and I don't think you've really closed the door on a couple games so far this year. So I thought it was great to see one of those, uh, you know, get sealed away, especially on the road early in the year. Like you said, it kind of could have been – hit the panic boat a, a little bit when you, when you lose two on, two on the road that you kind of wish you had in Mississippi State and Georgia. So I think it's great that you got a win there. And, and obviously, you know, you get a huge performance from Connect, but I think y'all are both right right there with uh, Jonas Adu. I think he had an unbelievable performance as a rim protector. Jonas had 10 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, and five blocks. I mean, he was awesome. I didn't think he played that well. In the first half, but he was awesome in the second half. Zakai adds in 18 points. Bob, you mentioned, you alluded to the first half turnovers. He took care of the ball in the second half. And, you know, Tennessee as a whole took care of the ball in the second half. It was funny, but, you know, Tennessee played better offensively, or at least I guess I should say less sloppy offensively in the second half. But they were still getting ran out of the gym because Georgia just caught absolute fire from three. You thought, wow, that's going to be a uh, tough pill to swallow. But the three-point regression did come over the last five minutes as Georgia went from on top of the world and really cocky and loving life to they look completely shell-shocked as you know Tennessee just stormed back and took advantage of them. You know, the one person we haven't talked about, I'd love to get your take on it, was um, I mentioned him, you know, getting broken down off the dribble, which is kind of rare for him, quite honestly, but um, was uh, Santi. Um, Six points, two boards, three assists, but also was a plus 16. And and again, I I think my biggest complaint with Santiago, um, although he did, he, he got into some foul trouble, but also it's the whole, we need him to hit the shots, man, or take the shots. He hit a key one. If you can recall when uh, Adu, I think Tennessee was down eight in the second half. And it was just before we really started turning the corner. Um, Adu got a, a board uh, offensive rebound, kicked it out to Santiago who hit the three, closed the gap to five, started to really kind of move the, the needle a little bit. Um, we need more of that, you know, particularly given the way, you know, again, another, frankly, disappointing performance from Jordan Ganey. So we, we need that, that, that perimeter shooter, at least occasionally. And I, I sometimes think Vescovy's right on the edge to break through and then he doesn't. And 
I don't know. I just love your guys' take on his performance in Saturday's game because um, he's someone I'm always wanting to see succeed. It's been a rough season so far. There's been some good moments, but some bad ones too. And I don't know what to make of Saturday's. He was, uh, you know, again, the metrics said he performed well, but still there wasn't a whole lot to show for it. Yeah, you're down nine points, connects at the free throw line. He hits one to cut it to eight, misses a second. Big offensive rebound with Jonas, kicks it out to Vescovy, who hits a three. It was his first shot he'd hit in a while. And, yeah, it makes it 75-70 with 536 left as Tennessee, you know, kind of, I don't want to say started their run there because Georgia, Georgia had one of their more infuriating possessions following that where Tennessee's down five and you're feeling like, okay, just get a stop, get a bucket, get a stop, get a bucket. You get a stop on a missed layup, Georgia gets an offensive rebound. They miss another layup, they get another offensive rebound, and it ends with Blue Kane, the Knoxville boy, knocking down a three. And at that point, you're, you know, you're back down eight with five minutes left. And it felt like it was over. But Zakai, you know, then at that point immediately got to the free throw line and got you back in the game at six, and you're able to kind of keep the momentum going. But as far as Vescovy went, man, like I feel like he's he's been vital in the second halves the last two weeks, or the last two games, I should say, in terms of pressuring the ball and kind of helping create that full-court pressure havoc that Tennessee has been trying to implement that kind of helps you down the stretch against Georgia. You know, I'm thinking back especially to the turnover around half court where the big man you know, falls down and travels and knocks the ball out of bounds. But Vescovy's still going to have to score points because, like, you're not going to be able to rely on even 18 points from Zakai. You know, you, you can't ask Dalton to score 36 points. Vescovy needs to, guy, needs to be a guy that gets you 10. I don't think it's asking you too much to give you 10, and he's just not even delivering that. So that has been really frustrating. The playmaking isn't even really there either in terms of assists and breaking down defenses to create looks for other guys. It was pretty much just a two-man show offensively with Jonas reaping the benefits with some open dunks and such. But yeah, Vescovy uh, and James, that continues to be the the glass half full of this team, right? If you're looking for something to to nitpick, if you're looking for something to be upset with, it's that your your two leaders, your two seniors, your super seniors, just quite frankly haven't been good enough. And that has to change if Tennessee's going to make a deep run. It's true. Um, I, I'm I'm encouraged to see two games in a row to see Freddie DeLeon on the court. Um, he's only getting about four minutes in each of those games. Hopefully he's going to get a few more. He's a different kind of guard, too, in that, you know, you saw he actually made the effort a couple of times on Saturday where, you know, he's less perimeter, takes it to the hole a little more, um, just a different dimension to to the offense, I think, if he can it, he can get some time. Bob, is that a response to the way that Ganey is playing? The frustration oh, maybe with Ganey so. that, that you're seeing, Dillion? Because still only four minutes in this game, you know, compared to Ganey's 14, but in those four minutes, you know, he, he outscored Ganey. He at least got to the free throw line and hit two. Is that in response to how much he's struggling? I believe it is. I mean, it, that's a that, that's a really interesting observation to watch uh, the comparison of their minutes here in the coming games um, uh, to see if there's continued regression in minutes for Ganey and um, you know, and maybe a little bit of minutes time played growth for uh, for Freddie. Um, that that's that's really interesting. I think they they need it. You know, again, they have, they have to have another guy off the bench that's productive and 
again, I think uh, I'm not looking at the stats specifically on Ganey right now, but I, I thought last I saw was he was 0 for 5 from the field again. I think four of those were three pointers. Um, it, it's and, and you know, we, we've talked about this now, it feels like for a couple of weeks. Um, I heard an interesting statistic that if you looked, this kind of sums up how far maybe uh, Ganey has fallen. It also might be a little bit of a commentary on, on Vescovy too, but um, I think maybe it was going into the Georgia game, maybe not coming out of it, but if you go into the Georgia game and you took the per season or the season per game average scoring for Jordan Ganey versus Santiago Vescovy, um, Ganey was still outscoring uh, Santi in average points per game. Now, of course, the, the sample size was inflated by Ganey's first month. Um, but still, um, it, it speaks to me, first of all, what we just talked about a few minutes ago, Santi's got to pick it up offensively. Secondly, Ganey has, you know, he continues to just kind of flicker and fade. And we've been saying this all along about, you know, when you're a shooter, the only way you get out of the slump is to keep shooting. But now I feel like I want to take that back. It's like, I, I don't want to see him shoot right now. It's just, it's not happening and doesn't appear to have any end in sight. Yeah. The, the lack of the green light, it does seem like that light has turned yellow uh, at the very least because 14 minutes, only one attempt, you know, you compare that to past games. Whenever he was in the game, he was getting up shots. Only one attempt. Uh, you know, the, the point per game comparison to Santi doesn't move me much just because it does it does jump off the screen that Vescovy still contributes other ways in terms of defensive intensity and, and team defense and such and, and, and doing some things with the basketball. To me, it's almost like, the other guys out there just getting kind of cardio when he's not scoring. He's not bringing much to the table. But maybe that leads to more Freddie DeLeon minutes. Maybe that leads to more Meshack minutes. Maybe one of these guys breaks out and hits some shots. The good news and the bad news, most of the bad news, is that Tennessee basketball does have some experience with these transfers that come in and get off to good starts and then become frustrating guys that can't score the basketball. So I do think Barnes has had a blueprint on how to approach the rest of the year. But overall, a big-time positive. It, it was a big, crazy weekend in terms of college basketball. Bob, I saw that you lost. Let me see if I can find the number. Uh, basically, let's see here. Everyone, let me see if I can find the exact number, but everyone in the top 25, essentially, except for like North Carolina, lost this weekend. Number one, Number two, number three, number five, number six, number eight, number nine, number 11, 17, 19, 21, 23, and 25. All lost to unranked opponents this week. So if you're feeling bad about losing to Mississippi State, just know that you had a lot of company because it was a crazy week of college basketball. Agree. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the polls look like when they they come out. I, th I think that um, – you know, the one team that that did strike me as uh, very impressive, and I think it's been happening for a couple of weeks, but it just hit me this weekend because I had a chance to watch them, is uh, uh, it's a team that beat Tennessee earlier in the season, and that's North Carolina. They are they are dialed in, man. They uh, they look very, very strong. Um, and, 
again, you know, if you look, it, it was the CBS Sports, you know, Gary Parish's top 25 and one. So it's not the official poll, but you look at it right now, three of the top four teams, those are those are three of uh, Tennessee's four losses. You know, it's Purdue, it's Kansas, it's uh, North Carolina. Um, of course, we want to get over the hump and beat those types of teams too. But uh, it just speaks to, again, really very, very tough schedule for Tennessee. Uh, the SEC's starting to prove, as we've discussed, that it's there's not there's not going to be many easy games in the SEC <clears throat> short of Vanderbilt, but uh, but yeah, I agree. It's uh, it was a bit of anarchy uh, in college basketball uh, this whole past week. Really, it's been pretty amazing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, who becomes who becomes number one. I mean, uh, what's wild is in Palm, in Ken Palm, you know, Houston lost two games in a row. They're still, I think, number one in Ken Palm rankings, which is kind of crazy. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a it's a great precursor for what we know will be uh, just a wild march. It always is. Yeah, looking in the SEC, it was pretty frustrating to see Tolu Smith have his free throw regression against Alabama. He was pretty. Pretty good against Tennessee, 9 of 12, of course, in a very close game that was tied with 30 seconds left. He goes 5 of 10 against Alabama. As a team, I believe they shot 15 of 27. So they kind of crashed back down to earth as they lost, a, I guess, by eight points at home to Alabama. So mark that down in the SEC race. Tennessee loses at Mississippi State. Alabama wins at Mississippi State. Uh, you did get a little help from A&M, who beat Kentucky in overtime. That was a funny ending to watch because it seemed almost like, you know, if, if you believe in the SEC corruption that favorites Kentucky, you could, you could have just popped that film on basically from the last 10 seconds of regulation all the way through overtime. But Kentucky only scores three points in overtime as they lose to A&M. And that, those are pretty much the only two noteworthy games if you're looking at Tennessee's race. Auburn took care of business against LSU at home. And um, what else? Florida, I guess, blew out Arkansas. Arkansas seems like they have some real troubles. So you can maybe go ahead and put a fork on them for chasing down the uh, the SEC. But outside of that, Kentucky lost and Alabama won on the road at a place you lost. Yeah, um, you mentioned uh, and Auburn is I was talking about another team that's dialed in, I think uh, nine in a row uh, they've won and Bruce has got them. They've got them playing great. And again, uh, just referring to Ken Palm, there's in the top eight. Now there's three sec teams. Two of them are in front of Tennessee, Auburn at number four, Alabama at number six, Tennessee's dropped a smidge in Ken Palm to number eight, but still, you know, strong positioning nonetheless anecdotally Wisconsin's number nine in Ken Palm. So that that's, that wins becoming more and more significant for, for Tennessee. But, um, um, you know, I think that uh, it's just, uh, it's going to be interesting here in the coming weeks. This coming week for Tennessee is really interesting. Obviously you mentioned Florida blowing Arkansas out. I'm not sure what to make of Arkansas at this point. Uh, I'm always of the mind that Musselman's going to have them in good shape by the end of the regular season, heading into conference tournament, and if they can get into the NCAA tournament. But this feels a little different right now. They they seem a little more um, wounded than what I've 
seen in the past with an Arkansas team or a, or a Musselman team. Um, so we got Florida tomorrow night. Um, and then, and then Alabama comes in here and we just know that's, that, that'll be a war, you know, they're, they're, uh, yeah, five losses, but again, their, their Ken Palm ranking in number six says a lot because they take on all comers and, um, they're, that's going to be, that's going to be a great game to watch. I just, uh, hope Tennessee's ready to, you know, it's a different type of game when it's at home for Tennessee, it seems. So we'll, we'll see soon enough, but, uh, there's definitely, uh, it's the conference is a gauntlet. Again, if you take Vanderbilt out of the equation, there's no gimmies in this conference at this point. Yeah, we set it on air, the morning show every day on fan run radio from 7am to 10am. I said that Tennessee needs to get to January with no more losses. You know, they almost they almost had another one in Athens on Saturday, but they survived. Now they set up a pretty favorable stretch. I know Alabama is a top five net ranking team, but Tennessee is really good at home. Tennessee should win that game, although it's going to be a dogfight. But, yeah, you got an opportunity to beat Florida and then set up a really big game in the SEC against Alabama. If anybody wants to hop on, we are taking what we call calls here on Spaces. Are you are you impressed? Are you happy with the way Tennessee was able to get off the mat? Or are you someone who just says that those were warning signs that it's the same old Tennessee, it's the same old Rick Barnes type of team that's going to be good, it's going to look good on paper, but you're going to have those maddening stretches where you just kind of inexplicably – have teams that, that shouldn't go on runs against you go on runs because Georgia's solid. You know, it's the best Georgia team that I can remember, you know, in the last seven, eight years. Mike White doing a good job there. But as you saw during the 21 to 4 stretch, Tennessee was much better than them. Tennessee was much better than them. Tennessee is much better than them. And you still almost found a way to lose that game. You didn't. Shout out to Dalton Connect, who became the first ball since Allen Houston to have two 35-point games in a season. Big-time performance from him. I'm choosing to look at the positive, but maybe you want to look at the negative. Maybe you say those are warning signs. Feel free to request to speak, and Bob and Sam and I will get you on here. Bob, i got to be honest. Uh, I, I am more struggling in terms of fatigue and time of day than I did all of last week. I don't know if it's a snow day and me going back to my inner childhood or what, but I agree with what you said. This is a, a little bit of a sleepy morning for me. You know what? It's funny you say that because I was, I think I said it on Friday. I think I'm, I, I was feeling good. I was like, I think I've turned the corner pretty quickly. But then last night happened, and not only did I, you know, it, we we started this an hour later, and I treated it like, like you said, like I was in school, like, man, we got a snow day tomorrow. I, I was up, I watched the entirety of the Rams-Lions game, and then I decided I'm also going to watch the premiere of True Detective. So so I was up, you know, a little bit past midnight, and, uh, you know, still early wake-up call. And uh, this morning I was like, man, why'd I do that? You know, I was, I was like, I guess, you know, snow day, I can sleep a little later today after we do the show, but... Um, yeah, I'm feeling it a little bit this morning and I think you're right. I think some of it is you get your, I was just getting into a routine and it just got jostled big time with the, 
Was the premiere of True Detective good? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was yes, slow, but very, slow and deliberate. But it was slow, and it's um, it, it it feels right off the bat. It's about as um, it's about as dark as any of them that I have seen right out of the gates. Now, and I'm saying literally and figuratively. First of all, it's taking place in Alaska, which is you know, and it's taking place during their part of the year where you know they have how many you know like almost 24 hours of dark. You know, so that's happening, but it's tonally speaking, it's uh, man, I don't even know what to expect right out of the gate, and it's good. And Jodie Foster's, you can just tell, is going to be a home run right right off the bat too. She is fantastic in the first episode, um, so yeah, it's it'll be a good one. I'm feeling pretty confident about that, but yeah, it it was one of those where I was like, God, I stayed up to kind of get into this kind of dark somber mode before i go to bed probably not the greatest play but that's i couldn't help myself i needed to see it i made it to the end we'll get back to sports here in a second but i made it to the end of the curse i watched the finale of the curse and i gotta say bob i i got to the end and i felt like i had been trolled by emma stone and nathan filter so i well i don't know if you caught up on it yet or not but no, I, I have not watched it, but a friend of mine did and just said, you know, we were at dinner on Saturday night and he said, did you, yeah, because he watched it ahead of time like you can do with Showtime. And I said, uh, you know, he asked if I'd seen it. I said, no. And he goes, yeah, you'll have to get back to me after you see it. He goes, I was, uh, as he put it, he goes, a little disappointed. And that's all he said. Um, so, yeah, between that and what you just said, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out, but my, my expectations a little disappointed was the theme of Super Wild Card Weekend. I feel like, you know, inviting seven teams to the party from each conference leads to a potential of, you know, leads to more matchups. And with more matchups, you're, you're bound to get a couple of stinkers. That was kind of the theme of the weekend until last night. It was a close game, 24 to 23. You talked about the... The Lions, the Rams, it looked like it was going to be a shootout. But then the second half, it came to a screeching halt, only nine total points. And to me, the takeaway is just, man, McVay and his game management continues to kind of hurt the Rams. I know he's won a Super Bowl, but outside of that, the wasted timeouts, the 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 management in terms of what they do down the stretch – kind of reared its head because they found themselves with only one timeout having to punt the ball. You can argue about whether or not they should have punted on fourth and 14 because they didn't get the ball back. And Stafford is left sad on the sideline like he was most of the time he was in Detroit. Goff came out on fire, I believe started 15 of 16. I felt good for him to beat McVay kind of as, you know, he was cast aside. I know the Rams were in the Super Bowl, but if you're Goff, hey, at least you beat him head head-to-head, and now, thanks to the football gods and karma, they get to host a round-two game, either against uh, Philadelphia or Tampa Bay, because the Cowboys absolutely got destroyed. Which one of those stories, the Cowboys losing or the Lions finally winning after 30 years, which one meant more to you? Definitely the Lions. I've just come to expect it with Dallas, what we saw yesterday, although I didn't think I would see it as um, 
as profoundly uh, bad as it was. I, I mean, I know they closed the gap on the score late in the game, but that was pretty much mop-up time. Um, the, the Detroit story, I've been, ever since Detroit was a subject of hard knocks, not this past season, but the season before, um, I've, I've found them to be a very um, easy team to like uh, from my perspective. Um, love Dan Campbell, um, love that team. And and I know they're, and I've got enough friends who are Lions fans in the Midwest. Um, I, I know their story, you know, and, and you just nailed it. 32 year drought for a playoff win. Um, to me, that was the biggest story. Goff, first quarterback to beat his former team in the playoffs in 28 years. Um, last person to do that was Brett Favre. Um, and I, I just think that, uh, th to me, that's, that is the story. And, and now they have a home game coming up. And so they are one win away from having a chance to play for a berth in the Super Bowl. So it's a great story. Yes. Dallas is it's just a joke right now, but yeah, no, I was going to say, wait, wait, I thought you were doing Detroit there, but I was just going to talk about Dan Campbell just because he was a guy that was kind of seen as a punchline. You know, I think when he was hired by Detroit, he had a right. quote about, you know, going after players, kneecaps and biting, you know, if you knock me down, I'm going to bite your leg and bring you down with me or, or whatever the hell he was talking about. And he was thought of a, as a kind of a goon, but he developed and apparently is just what everyone thinks that Mike Vrabel is in terms of the former player who can connect with players that's very tough, that's going to be aggressive, because that was pretty much the the message all year long coming out of Detroit was just aggression. With all the fourth downs, the two-point conversion at Dallas, they were just going to go for it, go for it, go for it, and be the aggressor. And you saw that mentality, you know, kind of carry them to the division championship. And, you know, it carried them to a win last night. And and I like the quote that you know started circulating of him saying he he loved Detroit and how it reminded him of Texas just because they just work hard and they want their teams, their teams to do good and how it resonated with him and how much he wanted to win for Detroit and how he fell in love with the city whenever he was a player there. And how, you know, that was kind of, I don't want to say his dream job because he didn't say that, but but that he understood the moment. And he didn't shy away from the moment and like what was on the table in terms of trying to bring a franchise that had been a punchline. You know, he said the city of Detroit's a punchline when it comes to you know how people view the city. And he said the franchise is a punchline and how people have talked about the franchise for the last 30 years. And I thought it was pretty cool that they got to win. I, I found myself, you know, kind of wanting Stafford to score, to take the lead, just to see if the Lions could do it and add some drama. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that's a fan base and a city that deserves to win. And I'm I'm glad they did. And no matter if it's Philadelphia, who's kind of a train wreck and now A.J. Brown's out, or if it's Tampa Bay and a hobbled Baker Mayfield, I'd imagine Detroit's going to be at least a field goal favorite next week in round two with a chance to go to the NFC Championship. So crazy turnaround there for them. I do think they're the feel-good story coming out of wildcard weekend, unless you're just a Cowboys hater. If you're a Cowboys hater, you got you got yeah. plenty of ammunition to do some hating because that was an all-time bad performance by Dak Prescott. That was an all-time bad performance by Mike McCarthy when it came to the way they were running their offense, especially on second downs early when he just kept running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, and kind of neutered his number one offense. It was what everyone had been waiting for. 
the lights to get bright and to see what the Cowboys would do. And I think in the back of their mind, even Cowboys fans knew what they were going to do when it got bright. And they delivered. They delivered in the worst way as they got absolutely embarrassed by Jordan Love and the Packers. Um, totally agree. Can I go back one second before? Because we, I do want to dig in on sure. Dallas because that's a, that is an, a mess. But one note for the Rams, and we've seen it all season long, but how crazy is it that they've gotten like Cooper Cup 2.0 and Puka Nakua. That dude is unbelievable, man. I, I just, I never, never had never even heard of him until this season. You know, I don't know what, I know he was not drafted in the first couple of rounds, but I mean, that, that's what an amazing find by the Yeah, round. just one of those grown men from BYU that came in and he's, he looks like the perfect compliment. They drafted basically a younger version of Robert Woods to pair with Cooper Cup, you know, which is kind of what they had in their, in their, First explosion when the offense became, you know, a McVeigh thing. And between him and Kyron Williams, they have drafted some really good offensive talent or found some really good offensive talent. So, yeah, if the Rams can fix their defense, and then I think they'll be okay. But Stafford, you do wonder how many years he has left in L.A. But, yeah, uh, Puka was great. Puka was great. And uh, it didn't feel like. Didn't feel like watching live that Cooper Cup helped him out very much. Did Cooper have any big time catches? Did he have any yards? Because every time I saw it was going to Puka. Yeah, Cooper. Nah, yeah, yeah, Cooper not five, five catches for twenty seven yards for Cup. Yeah, he didn't he didn't really do much to help. He caught a big first down pass at one point. You know, it was I think it was on fourth down, as a matter of fact, like a fourth and five, but that that was about it. Um so jumping back to Dallas and Green Bay. Um, I know we talked about C.J. Stroud earlier, um, but my goodness, Jordan Love. I guess the future is now for some of these teams and their quarterbacks. I mean, Love looks like a totally different level than what I saw, like, literally, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago. It's unbelievable. And and to your point about Dak, um, what a – I mean, he had he had some numbers, but talk about some bad picks and also some bad plays, some bad throws that just – luckily did not get picked off. I mean, Dallas looked totally unprepared. I, I just, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, like we were saying on Friday, I had a feeling about Green Bay, but not, not like this. I expected it to be a shootout and Green Bay might be able to edge them out in a close game, but they, they dominated this game. It, it was, it was incredible. And, you know, the beat goes on for Dallas. They're now five and 13 in playoff games since their last Super Bowl win. I mean, they're, uh, the question is, you know, how, how quickly there's no way Mike McCarthy survives this, right? I can't imagine on one hand, he's won 36 games the last three years. Dallas only trails Kansas city in terms of like regular season greatness over the last three years since McCarthy took over. On the other hand, the chiefs have of course won a super bowl in that time and the Cowboys haven't made it to the conference championship round. They extend their streak 28 seasons now since they have even made a conference championship. The Detroit Lions are one win away from a conference championship, and the Dallas Cowboys haven't done it in 28 years. Yeah, I don't care at all about Dak's numbers, three touchdowns, 400 yards. I don't care. He played terribly on Sunday, and he is a big reason why they lost, just because they dug such a hole. Dan Quinn must have been... Uh, packing all week to take the job in Seattle because he didn't bother to have any type of defensive game plan. 
that was an absolute abysmal performance by them. Stephon Gilmore got embarrassed. It felt like Micah Parsons had one play that he almost made, uh, but Jordan Love was able to make a throw down the field in the face of pressure. But you ask about McCarthy and that tenure coming to an end. If you're Jerry Jones and you have Bill Belichick out there and you have Mike Vrabel out there and you have Jim Harbaugh out there, Jim Harbaugh, by the way, apparently uh, inter- set to interview with the Chargers today. If you're Jerry Jones, you kind of got to make a move or at least strongly consider just because if it didn't happen on uh, on Sunday against that Packers team, how can you actually expect McCarthy to go out and win a Super Bowl, which is all that you're after right now is win a Super Bowl. You have to know McCarthy's not the best option there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with every everything there. And um, we just know with Jerry Jones, we've seen it. You know, history clearly indicates it. Um, he's, he's He wants to win. And uh, just to be blunt, I mean, Jerry's getting up in years. You know, he's he's not going to be there forever. He wants to he wants to get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. It's it's not happening in this current regime. They've, they've got a lot to, to think about. And so to your point also, it's rare that there's this many top tier candidates available at the moment. Uh, and and th- those won't be available for long either. So I don't know. I think we'll see something. If something's going to happen with McCarthy at Dallas, I think it's going to happen pretty quickly. So yeah, next couple of days will be interesting and pretty telling. Sam, you're back on with us. Um, any thoughts on last yesterday's and last night's NFL games? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I was, when we were talking about a little bit of that, that Cowboys Detroit game, I was going to kind of circle back a little bit to, you know, I think that Dan Campbell kind of gets a lot of that flash and I think it's, it's deserving and he's done a great job building that, that, that team up and building that culture. But I think, uh, you know, their GM Brad Holmes is kind of, kind of flown under the radar and really done a great job. I think in, in terms of landing some, some really big name guys in terms of, kind of coming off of that Stafford trade and, and what they've been able to do in the draft kind of here in the last couple of years is, as they've taken advantage of having those high draft picks, they kind of go, you know, a little bit in the unconventional route, I think in this, this past year's draft and reaching on guys like, uh, like Jameer Gibbs and, and taking, you know, Jack Campbell guys of need. And I think it's really, really paid off for them this year. And, and you've seen some rookie production from them. That's, that's really impacted all throughout the all throughout the year and, and showed up in the playoffs as well. Yeah, Gibbs was awesome. That was a pick that people laughed at, or people were like, "Wow, they're really doing this." And he is a big time weapon for that offense. And when they were scoring points early, he was a big reason why they were moving the ball up and down the field. Campbell, I still don't know. You know if that was a good pick or not. You know, taking an off ball linebacker that highly. But if you're the Lions, you're not worried about any draft picks as long as you can win at least one more game and get to a conference championship, it'll all be worth it. Not every team is, you know, Super Bowl or bust. Just having some playoff success and, and looking like a real team is enough for some of these franchises. So shout out to Detroit. That was a, a good job of building that team. And, you know, you look on the other side of the ball with Ben Johnson in, in terms of the way he called that offense. I think him and Bobby Slowick both – Kind of flex their muscles this week as you start looking at some head coaching interviews. The Titans probably foaming at the mouth for either one of those guys. 
And if you are Dallas or you are a team looking for a coach, I don't think you make the switch for one of those two. But uh, a team like Tennessee, a team like uh, the Chargers, you know, have to be kind of impressed with the way those coordinators called their offenses this weekend. All true. Um, we have not talked, name, you know, namely just the recency of it all. You know, there were uh, there were the games on Saturday. We touched a little bit on Houston and Cleveland. We have not talked much about Miami and Kansas City, maybe because that was a kind of a much ado about nothing game, in my opinion. You know, there was such hype because of the fact that it was on Peacock and it was streaming, and it's Miami against Kansas City and. Travis and Taylor and all that stuff. And quite honestly, it, it just, I, I quit watching quite uh, towards the end. I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't that interesting. You know, there was the spectacle of the cold weather, obviously, but that only goes so far uh, in my opinion. So um, any thoughts on those Saturday games? Cause they were both kind of uh, kind of lackluster from where I could sit. I mean, the, the Houston game was impressive and how they laid out Cleveland was something else. But I mean, again, if you were expecting a game where Cleveland was going to assert their will and uh, or impose their will, you know, with their defense and everything else, it didn't, it didn't happen at all. And um, I don't know, just interested to hear your guys' takes. On yeah. CJ, CJ Stroud had kind of struggled throwing the ball into tight windows and man coverage for most of the regular season. So you kind of looked at Cleveland like, okay, they're going to get a pass rush and they're going to have tight windows. And and the rookie quarterback should struggle a little bit. Instead, it was the opposite. C.J. Stroud was out there dropping dimes. There wasn't a lot of tight man coverage as his wide receivers just seemed to be open almost the entire night as, you know, Houston really just blew the doors off. Flacco, you kind of realized why Flacco had not been a starting quarterback as he threw those two, you know, bad interceptions. They kind of, you know, let the game get away from them. The Houston-Cleveland game, you know, I, I don't think was very interesting. Neither was the Dolphins-Chiefs game, but they did set a streaming record, Bob. Your TV got 22 million viewers on Peacock, so huge numbers for NBC. They're probably doing backflips and thanking the stars that that the script writers in the NFL put together Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey to raise the popularity of both. Yeah, um, those numbers are good when you when you factor in that Peacock itself. Now, some of those that 22, 23 million was also what's factored in there was the linear TV audience in the Kansas City and Miami markets where they actually did get to see the game on regular TV. Um, But still, when you consider Peacock only has about 30 million subscribers, um, that number was uh, absolutely good news for the folks at Peacock and NBCU. Um, not to mention, you know, the, the there was also information that came out that uh, the Google trend spike for Peacock was, was significant. It was the number one, uh, it, it occupied consistently for a while, the number one spot on the app store. So all of that's good. I think what, you know, something we talked about last week was, or at least a good portion of them because there will be some level of churn. But no, I, I have to tell you, it speaks to the power of the NFL. It speaks to the kind of the direction things are heading, which there's a lot of consumers who don't love that. But 
you know, I'm afraid that's that's going to be the reality. We've already seen it happen with Thursday Night Football on Amazon now for two seasons. I just think we're going to see more of it. This this proved that um, uh, it's a it's a it's a pretty significant risk in terms of investment. Uh, for you know, it's well chronicled. NBC spent uh, what 110 million for the rights to that game. Um, they made some of it back in ad sales and some in subscriptions, but they still didn't make all their money back. It's more of a long game play. But uh, yeah, that was probably the highlight of that game because it sure wasn't the way Miami played. And you know, I I kind of pay attention to stuff you know going on in the South Florida area because you know my my son lives down there and he's become a little bit of a Dolphins fan. Um, but the truth is, there's actual chatter that's starting now, and I'm not surprised. Of is Mike McDaniel the guy? You know, is he is he going to be able to win a meaningful game? Something we talked about last week. Um, we knew this one was going to be tough for a lot of reasons, but um, they, they looked they looked relatively flat. Like you said earlier, John, Tua just it doesn't cut it in these kind of conditions. And, you know, that's a reality in the NFL from time to time. So, you know, that that starts to raise questions about him. Um, so it's a really, uh, it's just interesting to see how many questions, just like McCarthy, how many questions are being asked about a team that won, what, 11 games in the regular season, but again, uh, felt like a no-show in some games against really, really tough upper-tier NFL Well, same for the Cowboys. You know, those teams were connected all year, and neither team yeah. beat anybody, and neither team looked good in the playoffs at all. And quite frankly, I, I think both teams should be asking questions about their quarterback. It might follow Mike McDaniel. You know, he might come into the season having to prove it, but if I'm a Dolphins fan – and the goal is to win in the playoffs and to make noise in the playoffs. I don't know how you feel good about Tua knowing that he cannot play when it's cold. Because guess what? It's almost always cold in the playoffs. It's going to be cold. Every time you get to football, that matters. Unless the Dolphins can be the one seed, they're going to have to go play in cold temperature. And you've got a quarterback that you don't think can play in cold temperature. And quite frankly, I don't think he can play in cold temperature. I thought that might have been a little overblown, but when you see the way he was playing on Saturday, it was not overblown. In fact, it was underblown by me because he was worse than I even imagined. So, yeah, I, I don't think McDaniel is necessarily to blame. I, I just do wonder, though, about the the future of of Tua and you know whether or not they're going to give him and, and honor his big contract and pay him top-level money because he should be coming up due for an extension pretty soon. I don't know how you feel good about that if you are the Dolphins. I agree with that. I'm, I was trying to remember, and I, I didn't check it out. Is was this was this McDaniel's second or third season? I want to. Say yeah, well, this was the second year. Yeah. So, I mean, I, if I'm a, a betting man, I would think he gets a third season. Oh yeah, he, but, he will definitely um, get a third season. He will There's be, nobody they can hire to yeah to replace him yet. But it's just whether or not he. Uh, Goes into the season thought of as an you know as an offensive genius, or if it's just a hey, he beats up on on bad teams. Any other NFL thoughts? You want to switch the gears to Alabama landing landing their coach? Um, yeah, I, I think we've done a we've done uh, our part with the NFL. Let's talk about Caleb. Before DeMore. we get there, I guess ending the ending the NFL topic with, do you think? Mike McCarthy does get fired. Are you going to go on record and say that you think he is fired 
in the next coming days. I believe he gets fired. Yes. Sam, do you believe that he gets fired? Yes, 100%. I think that uh, Jerry Jones is is fed up with Mike McCarthy's playoff antics. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that the Cowboys are so good and, you know, they may fire their coach. And, you know, tonight we get two NFL games today as the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game was moved to today due to snow. And we get the Eagles-Tampa Bay. If the Eagles lose, you know, Sirianni might be in a similar position as McCarthy. And, you know, you could have two of these premier franchises with great rosters coming open at the same time while there's a couple of superstar coaches out there. But speaking of superstar coaches and job openings, Alabama was able to land Kalen DeBoer from Washington. Bob, you said this was your nightmare scenario. How are you feeling today on Monday? Yeah. Um, same. I, I still think. I, I was having a debate with uh, some of the guys at RTI actually over the weekend. I, I'm still of the belief that short of Kirby Smart, who was not in the mix to begin with, um, this is the best coach Alabama could have gotten. And I'm saying that over Lanning, over Sark. Um, some people would disagree, but I, I just think DeBoer has kind of shown. Now there's questions about can he recruit at the SEC level? You know, now we're going to find out, but um, the fact also now that he is bringing his offensive coordinator with him too, uh, you already got a bright offensive mind in DeBoer, but he's bringing his guy with him from Washington. Um, yeah, I, I, look, I, I, I don't necessarily, I still see a regression with Alabama going into the season, but when I say regression for Alabama, that's still, you know, eight and four, nine and three. Um, I think he's, he's gonna, he's gonna get that thing headed in a good direction. Will it be Saban type of performance over the years that's I don't know if anybody can do that quite honestly but I, I do think this is as good a hire as Alabama could have gotten so big score well, for them. therein lies the problem as far as I'm concerned is that the expectation is going to be to keep the Saban thing rolling and he's not going to win at that level he's not I mean it's impossible to win at that level yeah. therefore I wonder if he is a, ever able to kind of appease that fan base and if he's able to kind of solidify himself as a long-term coach, a long-term answer. I know his resume is awesome. I also know, I believe, only, like, what, two years in Power 5 football, three years in general in Division One football. So, like, those things matter to me. I do understand, you know, good coaches are good coaches everywhere, but it just you're, you're going to be at the highest level of college football at the job that's maybe the most pressure filled in the entire country. If you guys want to hop on, request to speak, we'll take your call. If you have any thoughts on Alabama hiring Kalen DeBoer, the recruiting thing does matter. I think it matters immensely. He's going to have to recruit at a top three level for it to be kind of a success to, to, to expect to still win 10, 11 games. I think he's going to have to recruit at a top three, top five level. And I just don't see any way he or that staff he's bringing from Washington does that. So ultimately, this is a win for Tennessee in terms of just getting saving out. But it's not the free fall scrambling. They're panicking. Oh, my God, they're hiring Tommy Reese disaster that we thought it might have been. Sam Beard, your thoughts on the hire of Kalen DeBoer? 
for Alabama? I think it is definitely the right hire. You know, I think he is a, a great coach. And like you said, I mean, he's he's won everywhere he's gone. But I do think that the recruiting aspect of it is is absolutely a, you know, a, a concern and kind of a red flag, I think. Um, you know, I, I mean, for how for how talented that roster was this year, it, it was recruited a lot in part by Chris Peterson. And so I think that, you know, a, a big question mark of that will be how they can recruit once they get down to Alabama. I think obviously they've they've proven that that staff can develop players well, uh, but will they be able to bring in that top level uh, talent recruiting wise? I think you know there there has been some rumblings of him being able to keep some of Saban's old staff. To me, that feels like an important aspect of it, kind of maybe blending some of the the offense that you're bringing from Washington, but also kind of keeping some of those coaches from Alabama staff and being able to keep some of those recruiting ties and get that top level talent in and let those guys recruit and then kind of let your guys uh, develop those guys into, you know, into guys that they want to be able to put out on the field. But I think it was the right guy ultimately in, in DeBoer. We are not in the White Claw Hard Seltzer studios, but shout out to White Claw Hard Seltzer. Enjoy some on your snow day and maybe go do a little sledding responsibly. I, I, I think that we are underestimating, even with how great we're saying he is, I think we're underestimating Nick Saban. I think we're underestimating his pull to recruiting at Alabama. You saw some of the national people lay out like, hey, Alabama hasn't been as competitive with NIL as you may think. They are not outbidding players. They are, they are not outbidding four players. They are getting a little bit of a Saban discount because, you know, it's it's thought of kind of as an investment, right? You you go to Alabama and you're going to make more money in the NFL because Nick Saban has a proven track record of being able to get you there. He's going to make you a first round pick. He's going to make you a second round pick. Now they're saying that Kalen DeBoer, he doesn't get that same benefit of the doubt because he's not Nick Saban. He hasn't proven that he can get you to the NFL on defense. He hasn't proven that he can get you to be a top five pick on offense. As great as he's been, he hasn't proven that yet. So now Alabama's going to have to play more on an even playing field with these other schools of just how much money can you give me to go along with playing time, which is also going to be an issue. And also, like, you know, what are you going to do when I get there? In terms of his offense, Bob, yeah, I mean, he is bringing his offensive coordinator. But I do wonder, like, is he going to bring a quarterback? Because if he is, if he's yeah. coming down to try to play this Michael Penix type of offense with Jalen Milrow, I don't see that going very well in the immediate future next year. I I agree. I uh, that's one of the things I I was thinking about. It's like uh, this, you know, sounds crazy and it won't happen. But it's it's almost like man, put Milrow in the backfield or put him in a position where he's a playmaker where he uses his legs, slot receiver, get another quarterback. Right. Right. Um, because I agree, I, uh, you know, there's one school of thought that, you know, uh, a friend of mine said, yo, you know, you should jump on the futures for Milrow and the Heisman. It's like, mm, I, don't, I don't buy that. I, I think that, uh, I think that there's, you know, that will be very interesting to watch. You know, the other thing too, uh, there was an article on cbssports.com from Dennis Dodd. And I thought of you, John, because, um, Dodd is basically saying, you know, 
attempting to replace Nick Saban, obviously inherently risky. And he he mentions there are two words to consider. And he wrote Brian Harson, who you brought up on Friday. I still don't agree with that. However, it's interesting that he he put that out there as well. That um, you know there are some, I guess, some parallels to be drawn by somebody who. You know, you could say one at a lower level and then went to a big time program. Auburn's not Alabama, but they're still, you know, a power five. Conference yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I want to point out that I think Brian Harson is or that that Kalen DeBoer is much better than Brian Harson. When I, when I brought that name up, I was just saying he ultimately got undid by his his outsider uh, status. His status as an outsider is not a southerner. And I do think that there's a chance that Alabama you know, eventually has less of a less of a leash for an outsider. And the moment that things go badly, you'll start talking about, of course, this guy can't win in the South. He's never recruited in the South. But I do think he has proven more at this point in his career than Brian Harson had. But the culture fit questions are still there. Okay. All right, let's start bringing on some uh, callers. First up, we got uh, Roberto. Let me add as a speaker. What up, Roberto? Gotta, you there? Oh, there yep. What's up? Yeah, it just kicked over. Good morning, gents. Morning. Uh, hey, man. Happy morning from non-snowy Maryville. Man, it's like, uh, you know, we're sitting here out in Maryville, and I'm hoping for a feet of snow. My kids have been praying for it all weekend, you know, petitioning the Lord. And I wake up, and we have less snow than John's average BAC at a tailgate. There you go. There you go. I don't know how to feel about no, that. Less than 0.2 um, inches of snow is not great. It's not great. <laughs> less than 0.2 inches of anything is kind of a, a failure. Um, so, guys, I, I think maybe I'm way out of way out in left field here, and I'm okay with that. I think I think it's a nightmare hire for Tennessee. Nightmare. I think Kalen DeBoer is the best. I, I think Kalen DeBoer is the best football coach in college football. He's the only one I would take over Josh Heupel. I've told people that for two years, a year and a half, two years. And there is a huge difference. I mean, Dennis Dodd is, uh, you know, John, if you're being mentioned in the same breath as Dennis Dodd, that's a problem. All I'm saying, all I was pointing out was the culture fit. That's all I'm saying. Dennis Dodd, also a bald man, but yeah, he's kind of a dumbass. I don't, I'm not a Dennis Dodd fan. Um, you know, I, I wonder... Uh, if he understands that uh, going to Boise and maybe winning a conference championship versus going to Washington and going undefeated until the national championship game is the same thing. That that may be the most asinine thing I've ever heard. Now, if he's only talking about cultural fit and only maybe, then again, Kalen DeBoer, man, he's from, he's from uh, the Dakotas. I believe he's from South Dakota, right? Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we got one of those too, right? Yeah, we do. But uh, also, like, we have one that cut his teeth, uh, you know, playing at Oklahoma and then went to Missouri and has a little bit more experience, at least maneuvering somewhat throughout the South. You know, the far- the furthest that Kalen DeBoer has yeah. gone is, you know, Indiana. So, yes and no. Hypo didn't spend his whole life in the Dakotas. I believe he moved out when he was like 18 or 19, right? Well, I, yeah. I don't know. Well, I, mean, I don't know where he went to Juco yeah, I mean, or whatever. But, yeah, of course, and been, been coaching. Yeah. But I don't know, man. Uh, to me, it just looks um, – I, I don't like it. And and maybe maybe I'm just uh, – you know, I'm usually a perpetually positive person. 
uh, that was alliteration uh too er- too er- too early for that but i i just don't like it at all if he can recruit even a little bit he's gonna win so much there because here's a hot take he is a better tactical football coach than nick saban period he is anyone in the game will tell you that i'm not in the game but i feel like that's a very steep statement I'm not in the game, but I, I'm not going to say that he's a better tactical coach than maybe the best defensive mind we've had in the last 30 years, maybe ever. And, and, and Roberto, when you say tactical, or I mean, specify that a little more for me. Does that mean in-game? Does that mean... No, in-game, he's not a better coach. I meant prep yeah. and an understanding of the way new football is being played, where it's offense only. Uh, you know, I, I respect John's take on Nick Saban being the best uh, football, defensive football mind in the last 30 years, but I could probably rattle off 10 right now that are better. But nonetheless, uh, let's just table that with that's a fair take by you. Well, as I'll just well, say John. Nick Saban is pretty but, much Harold Lee uh, universally accepted as the greatest of all time. And I know that recruiting plays into that as well. I had jokes, yeah, no I doubt. There, there, there's not a question. But, you know, being able to cheat with impunity uh, typically helps that. Yeah, John. that's fun. He was going up against other people in the South who were cheating as well. I'm not going to act like Ohio State. I'm not going to act like Clemson. I'm not going to act like Georgia and Florida and LSU have been playing things. With Tennessee, for Yeah, or Tennessee. I'm not going to act like they've been playing uh, by the book either. So, like, yes, maybe they were cheating, but everyone was cheating. Well, that, that's really all I had, guys. Um, you know, uh, the only other thing I wanted to—I didn't get to hear your basketball talk from the weekend, but man, uh, what Dalton Connect did this weekend uh, was fascinating to me. And can Tennessee go deep if he plays like that? Because it seems like when he plays well, Santi and Josiah Jordan James are just non-existent. But if we can get him and and ZZ playing as they are now, they could still carry us. But it's just so interesting that your two senior captains who've been there literally the longest of anybody at this school seem to be non-existent when you have those two guys, ZZ and, and, and DK take over. I mean, they just disappear. It's really strange. Guys, appreciate it. Day. Good luck on the snow. <laughs> I would say that, uh, it's not directly correlated because DK did not play well in the first half at Mississippi State, and Santi and Josiah were still playing very poorly. So I'm not going to blame it just on when DK plays well because when he hasn't played well, they haven't really picked him up there either. But as far as uh, kind of circle back to basketball, I'll just say that Tennessee has a, a an, off, an offensive set, an offensive play that feels just you know like an NBA set an NBA play is just bring Jonas up, set a high screen, let connect or let Zakai get downhill, get around a screen and create. And Tennessee hasn't really had that in a long, long time, if ever. And it is nice to know that if you need a bucket down the stretch, you have a guy that can go get you a bucket. I owe an apology to Zakai. He is playing really well. He is playing better than a role player. I will say, is it just a hot streak or is it the new Zakai? We'll see because he did have a similar streak last year and then kind of, you know, level back out to his averages of where he was before. But he's been awesome. He's been Tennessee's best or second best player and uh, has controlled the offense really well. Back to what, Robert, go ahead. Hey, John. 
Yeah, John. Well, just while we're on basketball, one second. We had a we had a question a little earlier in the in the comments from one in strikes. Yeah. Um, and he, I don't, I'm not even sure if he's still on, but I do want to take a second. You know, he was asking the question, which comes up a lot with Knoxville folks about Blue Kane plays at Georgia. He wrote, "How much did the year at IMG help him? Looks better than most of those kids who came from Catholic." I think he knows his role for sure. Um, and um, the, you know, he stuck some pretty important threes against Tennessee on Saturday. Um, there, there's always that chatter about why isn't he here in Knoxville playing in Knoxville? Um, I don't know. I still think, you know, on paper, if you look at some of the people that, that Barnes brought in, whether it's Freddie, whether it's Cameron Carr, now we haven't seen anything from Cameron Carr yet, but those are guys that were, at least, you know, on paper, more highly credentialed than Blue Kane. <laughs> well, um, I'll also say he, the ceiling. I'll also say the ceiling on both those guys seems way higher than Blue Kane. Agreed. I think, yeah, I, that's what I was getting ready to say. I agree with that. And but I will say, it looks like he's settled into a to a nice role with Georgia. And that's, yeah. There's some of those other Catholic kids. You know, I think B.J. Edwards is finding his niche in, at SMU, but you know, he's not a statistical, you know, stud. He's Averaging four points, three rebounds, four assists a game. I mean, you know, serviceable, but and then Tanji Hamba, you know, he uh, he went to Weber State and uh, you know, really not doing a whole lot out there. So, um, so I think it's a fair question about Blue Kane, but I, I'm happy to see he's playing at a Georgia team that's improving. Like you said, John, probably the best Georgia team we've seen in a while. I also don't think it's fair to really compare. I mean, to answer the question, yes, I do think going to somewhere like IMG helps you prepare better for college basketball or college football. Like I, I do think that being in a environment like that, where you're allowed to kind of focus more on ball probably means that you'll be better equipped as a freshman. I don't know how they get down at Catholic. You know, I don't follow high school recruiting enough or know enough about the ins and outs. I won't pretend to, but just when you tell me you're going to an academy and, and that's where a lot of the elite people go, you know, from across the country it does seem like it would breed you to have a better start to your collegiate career. All right, let's uh, have somebody else hop on. Floor is open. If anyone wants to weigh in on anything that we've talked about so far, we're kind of wide open. I don't know, you know, if Kalen DeBoer is going to be a home run. I don't know if he is the, the best tactical coach in the country or whatever. I do think that if you're Alabama, you probably feel really good about the hire. I haven't seen what their fan base is saying, but it, it does seem like you got the guy you maybe wanted more than anybody, and that maybe Jimmy Sexton was just trying to get all these other guys like Mike Norvell and and Dan Lanning, and you know was maybe trying to get them just a raise so that they he could then go and get Kalen DeBoer big raise. But I still maintain that it is a big step down from Nick Saban. Until further proven, like maybe Kalen DeBoer is the next Urban Meyer, a guy that came in from, you know, not having any ties in the SEC and dominated the SEC. Nick Saban did a similar thing, of course, coming from Michigan State to LSU. Maybe Kalen DeBoer is the next in that line. Maybe he is. I find it hard to think that he is going to have big enough success to, to make this feel like a home run hire for Alabama immediately. It might feel like a triple. I'm not saying they'll be mad at him, but like I think they're going to be at best a 10-win team next year, and that will feel almost like a win for the rest of the SEC if Alabama goes back to 10-2. and two. That's how I feel. 
Yeah, I, 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 I will be again. I still stand by. I think it's, I think it's a great hire for Alabama. The question is, how, how long, you know, how many seasons does he get? Does he really get a fair shot? You know, as we've said before, if you're the guy following the ultimate guy, there's not going to be a lot of patience there. Whether it's the fan base, the administration, you name it. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, speaking of Washington or former Washington coaches. Now there's a new Washington coach and Jed Fish coming from Arizona. And I know there were some folks in SEC country who were a little worried about someone like a Jed Fish perhaps coming to the SEC, maybe not this season, but next season if Billy Napier can't get things together at Florida, et cetera. What, Sam, John, what are your thoughts on uh, the hire for Washington? I, I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, to me, I think Jed Fish is is honestly probably one of the best coaches in the country. I think, you know, Roberto's talking about DeBoer being being maybe the best coach that he, that he thinks he wants it, you know, in the country outside of Hypo. I think Jed Fish is, is, you know, squarely in the running there for guys that can turn a program around real quick. And I think that's a guy that, that brings a lot of juice into his program. And I think that he'll be able to, to – you know, probably take a lot of the guys that, that he's got from Arizona and, and take them to Washington. And, and I think he'll probably have some pretty, pretty decent success there uh, early on. I think Jed Fish is a great hire for them. And yeah, you know, you mentioned it, Bob, I, I think it, you probably feel pretty good about Jed Fish probably not being able to get that Florida job if, if Billy Napier gets canned after next year. Well, I thought he had started getting rumored to be in NFL searches. You know, the Titans had been linked to being interested in Jed Fish. So when I saw the Washington name, my mind went to the commanders that he had, you know, decided he was going to go interview and maybe take the job with the Washington commanders. Instead, of course, he is going to Washington who goes from one brilliant tactician to another guy with a proven track record of turning things around and maybe exceeding his talent level and finding things because what he did at Arizona was one of the, one of the most, if not the most impressive coaching jobs. But, Bob, to answer your point, I don't know if this affects him when it comes to the Florida job because, I mean, Washington is still a bigger job than Florida. Or, excuse me, Florida is still a bigger job than Washington, right? I don't think I his allegiance to Washington would keep him from taking that job if he does have one good year you know, next year at Washington. I think he could still be on the market for them. It might not look good to leave after one year, but if you ha- if you already have your yeah. job, I mean that's what we do this generation, Bob. People hop jobs all the time. Yeah, yeah. What would Lane Kiffin exactly. do? Right. That's that's what you always have to. That's the filter you bring it through. Yeah, he did it to Tennessee. Poor Lane. Poor Lane's probably looking around. Didn't get any job offers. Washington didn't even call him. Sad. You you got to feel for Arizona. I mean, they were. I think they were set to return like 18 of their 22 starters. And, you know, obviously Fafita kind of comes in after Delora gets injured and he has a magnificent season. And, you know, they've got McMillan over there as a young receiver who looks unbelievable, probably a future top 10, top 15 pick. And then Jed Fish goes to, goes to Arizona and they've, a lot of those boys are kind of left wondering what they're going to do. Yeah. I wonder if there's some roster spots open. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if they just follow, follow him there. 
whatever I saw said that uh, Arizona was not prioritizing an extension for Fish and that they weren't going to rework his contract and give him a big deal. So, you know, if you're him, maybe that played a part into it or maybe you would have left regardless. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't, I don't feel too bad for Arizona just yet, at least as a school, the fan base, of course, to have some success and have that go away. That, that has to hurt, though. That's to feel really bad. Well, do you remember that headline that was – it was something like their athletic department had some miscalculation in their budget and it They're was They were poor, like right? $250 million or something like that. It was something insane. They had to do a bunch of cuts to their athletic yeah. department. Maybe they can't afford a contract extension. Yeah, and if that's the case, of course, you're, if you're Jed Fish, you don't want to be at a school like that. You don't want to be right. at a school that is struggling financially and, and isn't able to – give you money and invest in the program. So yeah, then you just, you get out, you leave and you go to a roster that made the college football playoff. I know they lost a lot of guys, but you know, the prestige there, you maybe helps you get, get a boost and you're at a better job because I don't think anyone would argue that, you know, that, that Washington isn't much, much better than Arizona when it comes to, to potential jobs. You know, um, we were, the three of us were chatting on a text thread yesterday about this very thing. And um, Sam, it might have been you that brought it up. I found it pretty interesting is, again, uh, agree with everything John just said. There's no question if you're at the, if you're the Arizona coach, you get the offer to go to Washington, you take that. There's no, there's no doubt. But at the same time, now you've got Arizona moving on to the big 12 who, who gets that job. And, um, Sam, I think you threw out is this one that they, you know, someone that's, you know, got the Tennessee roots, uh, an Alex Dolish. Does does he get some some consideration for a job like that? And and again, it would be one of those if you have the job at South Florida and you get an Arizona comes calling. I think you you take that call and you take that job if it's available. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I felt like that one felt pretty good. I mean, I think Fish really revamped that Arizona offense, obviously, and. Goalish is one of the the good, great young minds. I I think in the offensive side of the ball. I think and and obviously coming from Heupel's lineage and everything like that, he turned around the USF program that was in the dumpster and got him to a bowl game. I think I think that would be a a good look for Arizona to try and maybe go see if he wants to kind of flip that flip that offensive around and maybe see if some of those guys. If want you're to Alex Goalish, do you take that job because? My my reaction is that I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk. I, I think it seems a little bit loud. Yeah, I was gonna say like I understand like you're moving up in conference and all that, but like you're also in South Florida. You're also you know gonna have a recruiting fertile ground. You've you've shown that you can coach. You're almost better off as far as I'm concerned just to keep those South Florida recruiting ties, recruit well, and then like wait for a better job than Arizona because, you know, we just talked about the the shape that their their program is in when it comes to money. Are we sure they're going to invest in you? Are, are you sure that you're going to be able to win at Arizona? You, you just had a pretty big turnaround in year one. I think you might be better set just staying there and waiting for a job to come open. And maybe Jed Fish, maybe Jed Fish taking that job at Washington means that Alex Golish after another good year would be on like Florida's radar if he was able to, you know, coach really well this year at South Florida. Yeah. Like, like if, if I'm him, I want to stay yeah, in Florida, I want to stay in the South. 
That's very interesting. And it, you guys could tell me um, with the new college football playoff format coming up with 12 teams, does the American athletic, do they get an automatic spot? Just the highest, just the highest ranked uh, group five team. So if they're the highest, uh, so it's yeah, if they're the highest ranked, yes. It's the equivalent of, okay. It's the equivalent of like a new year's six layout. Yes. Correct. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. Because, At least I again, Sam, am I wrong on that or am I right? I, I believe that's how it is, right? No, I, yeah, I think you just are the right highest now. ranked. So I think if you put it through that filter, that's interesting because Arizona going into the Big 12, it feels like, uh, you know, that who's got the better shot? Both of them are probably relatively longer shots, but who's got the better shot of getting into a, which job has the better shot of getting into the college football playoffs? It, it may be. It, South Florida. I would say it's pretty even at worst. I mean, if you're South Florida, you don't feel like you're you're fighting uphill necessarily. When you look at like how many group five teams are actually left that are any good. Because most of them have, of course, found a conference. Yeah. All right. Anything else we've missed? Anything (laughs) else we want to get? A good straight commercial free hour and a half edition of the morning show. Do we know what the forecast is saying? Is more snow coming? Will we be back in the studio tomorrow? Bob, answer my questions. Help me. Um, I, last I saw before we started today was that there's, you know, another wave of snow coming in. Um, it's happening right now. As I look out my window, there's definitely snow accumulating. And then the problem now will be the cold temperatures starting tomorrow. That's so that'll be the question is, you know, the roads right now are not in bad shape. It's it's going to be as snow accumulates and then the temperature drops, that's going to be the problem. Um, Sounds like there's a good chance we, we're not uh, going to be in studio again tomorrow then. Could be. Uh, could be. Um, we got those two steep hills. We got bad, those though. two steep hills to come down. I'm not getting down there and, and wrecking or getting stuck down at that studio. So I'm, I, know the, I know the quality of this show wasn't as good as it would be if we were in studio, but at least we gave you something. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting uh, in my head kind of uh, visions of what I watched last night on that True Detective premiere. If we were stuck down at the uh, studios, we uh, <laughs> might be a little, uh, little, little dark. I think I would be able to handle a day or two. I wouldn't start eating you immediately, Bob. It'd be okay. I, I don't think anybody would kill anybody <laughs> after one day. Well, good. thank God for that. I've never been around um, Sam, though, outside nah, of work, I... so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sam would just stay away. He's a smart guy. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this has been good, though. I mean, I'd love to get – and I'm sure if more day, we, had, we had some interaction on uh, in the comments and had, uh, you know, had a couple uh, people call in, and one that went away. But still, I, the, it, this may be our uh, temporary normal for another day or two. So I uh, hope you all continue to give us a listen. If the situation continues like this, we would start what John eight o'clock each day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any uh, benefit to getting up at uh seven and doing it. The roads are starting to get slick. I just dropped my wife off at work says drew. So yeah, I guess it is getting ready to get bad. I don't have enough food here. I'm going to starve. I don't have enough food at my place, Bob. Hey buddy. You know what? I went to our favorite place and picked up a sandwich yesterday afternoon. It's in the fridge. I'm happy. Uh, I was I was debating on getting out. To, I was thinking, is it is it dumb to get up and drive to Jersey Mike's right now and <laughs> risk this and, and risk wrecking? I don't know, but I don't have enough sandwich meat here. I need to go by the store, but it's going to be a madhouse. Uh, 
well, keep an eye on the station account. I don't know what Jake's doing. Have you seen anything, Bob? Is Jake uh, going to hop on here? Is he going to try to get in the studio? Do we know? Uh, no idea. I've not heard anything. Um, but yeah, he, I'm sure he'll be posting something on the station account if he's uh, getting ready to join here at 10 o'clock. So yeah. Keep an eye on the station account and our personal Twitter accounts for our updates. If the weather's bad in the morning, plan to kind of have a similar show like where we just hop on here and, and talk for an hour and a half or so because, oh, yeah, the snow's still coming down here in Farragut, too. Aye, aye, aye. All right, Bob. All right, Sam. Appreciate you. Appreciate all the listeners. Uh, I'll get the podcast up if you miss any of it. You want to go back and listen. Have a good Monday. Enjoy your Martin Luther King Day. Got two football games. Got a bunch of NBA games. That'll do it for us. Any final thoughts? No, just everybody be safe. Thanks for hanging in with us for an hour and a half. This was uh, this was fun, actually, doing it this way. I still prefer to be in the studio. And thankfully, we, we, we were texting that, thank God this wasn't our first week last week. That would have uh, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have been good. So, um, again, appreciate everybody's support in week one. And week two is a little funky, but we're going to keep going and uh, keep joining us. Thank you all. Sam, thanks for uh, hopping on. Enjoy your snow day, my friend. Yeah, no problem. I'll see you tomorrow. tomorrow. All right, boys. See you about. See you.